I can just get everybody's attention. If you want to take a chair, there's a few chairs here, or if you want to just stand in the back. It's a, it's a beautiful day for us to have this on the rooftop garden of the Jameson Center. Um, and we're glad that uh, everybody's been able to, to be a part here. Welcome to the media. And just want to acknowledge that we're on Treaty 6 land. And, uh, and please take a, a seat. So I just wanted to uh, welcome everybody on behalf of all of us at, at Hope Mission, uh, Herb Jameson Center. Uh, this has been a dream of mine to this Herb Jameson building. We had a dream to build a new emergency shelter 20 years ago. And uh, it's as of October of 2021, we opened it up. And it's a state-of-the-art uh, shelter that uh, it's uh, something that we're really proud of. But I want you to know that... Uh, um, I want to thank our premier, uh, Honorable Jason Kenny, who came alongside us and was a great support and very kind to us and uh, gave us the matching funds that we need to, to build this. And I want you to know, like, um, our, our premier, there's a side of him that a lot of people don't know. I know that he's worked with AIDS patients when more, nobody wanted to work with AIDS patients, and uh, he has a heart for the poor. And I've just seen it in him over the last number of years. And so I really appreciate, Jason, for you taking the time to, to be here. If you'd like to come and say a few words. Thank you so much, Bruce, for those kind words. But more importantly, your lifetime of compassionate work for the least fortunate amongst us, for, uh, for the homeless, for people fighting addiction. Uh, and for many on the margins of our society. Thank you for welcoming me to the Hope Missions, Herb Jameson Center. Our government was proud to, as a platform commitment, contribute $8 million to the development of this fantastic new facility that is helping to save lives, uh, that is a key part of the social response to homelessness uh, here in downtown Edmonton. Uh, and I uh, should begin after yesterday being... National Day for Truth and Reconciliation by acknowledging that we're on traditional uh, Treaty 6 territory. I don't know if you all saw, but we had a very emotional day yesterday returning to the custody of the First Nations, the ancient Manitou Stone, one of the most sacred uh, artifacts uh, for First Nations in uh, the, the North American uh, prairies. And um, it was a very a touching day where we focus not just on injustices of the past, but the tremendous progress that is being made to ensure that Indigenous people are partners in prosperity on a good way to the future. I'd like also to acknowledge uh, all of the my friends here from uh, Edmonton Chinatown Business Association and different uh, Chinese community organizations, uh, and right off the top to say how I acknowledge how their community has been facing uh, years of a worsening uh, public safety crisis in this community that their families and ancestors have resided in for over a hundred years. Uh, the uh, Chinese community in Edmonton Chinatown is an historic community, and it's devoted to uh, ensuring a safe place for seniors and others to live and for businesses to operate. And what they've been going through here over recent years is totally unacceptable. Uh, 
as Chief McPhee knows very well, the first responsibility of government is to ensure public safety. And let's be honest, governments have not risen to that challenge adequately here uh, in Edmonton, Chinatown. As we have seen a worsening homelessness and related addictions and mental health crisis. And I'm here today to make a historic announcement about uh, an even more ambitious response from Alberta's government to address both the homelessness and addictions crisis. When we were first elected more than three years ago, Alberta was gripped by an addiction crisis. Help was not available due largely to a fragmented system coupled with a funding model that was insufficient, unfocused, and that failed to help people access recovery. In fact, in most cases, recovery wasn't even presented as an option unless you had a room uh, or a credit card. It simply wasn't good enough. We had huge gaps at getting into detox. And then people go to detox and they couldn't get into a treatment center. They'd be back on the street, back into the negative cycle. And even if they got through treatment, there were, were not adequate supports for lifetime recovery. It simply wasn't good enough. And the addictions crisis meant that there uh, would be more people who faced crisis situations and led to an increase of homelessness, social disorder, and crime in our communities. The isolation from the COVID-19 pandemic only made it worse. And many people came from remote parts of the province into the cities to access services and for other reasons, increasing the homelessness population Uh, and accelerating the addictions crisis. But we knew that the status quo, the status quo was not helping people. In many cases, it was enabling people who were struggling in the depths of the illness of addiction to continue to use and abuse toxic, deadly poisons like fentanyl. We knew things had to be done differently. To address addiction in a meaningful way, we uh, ran on a commitment to significantly step up Alberta's fight against addictions. And we move to increase access to treatment, focus on making recovery the ultimate goal. And and when I say those words, to make recovery the ultimate goal, it just sounds like a cliche. It just sounds like like words. But it really matters because in the area of addressing addictions, there are many who believe that recovery is a false hope, that it's not possible, that instead what we should do is actually to facilitate dangerous addictions rather than to offer an off-ramp to freedom from addiction. But the whole uh, vision of Alberta's government is based on the reality that, that recovery is possible. And so we have developed, and today we massively expand, Alberta's unique model in North America of a recovery-oriented system of care. The whole point is to give people a fighting chance to escape from the grips of addiction so they have the opportunity to build a new, safe, fulfilling life. Because, as I say, recovery works. Recovery works. It's not a new concept or an untested utopian theory. Right now, there are thousands of Albertans in every corner of this province who are in recovery. They are living proof that recovery is possible for everyone, period. While not everyone is ready at any given time to pursue recovery, it's the only way ultimately to treat the illness, the illness of addiction. And that reality has driven us to build a system that while supporting the entire continuum of care, 
is focused on making sure that every Albertan who wants to escape addiction will have the opportunity to pursue recovery. Now, all of this started in 2019 with a $140 million commitment in our platform to address address the mental health and addictions crisis, Uh, of course, on top of uh, historic funding support. Once elected, our first major announcement was to create over 4,000 newly funded treatment spaces across Alberta. But we saw that we could do even better, which is why we've been able to create over 8,000 newly funded detox treatment, and recovery spaces in the province. This means 8,000 more Albertans will be able to access publicly funded addiction treatment. That's freedom from addiction for 8,000 more people a year. We created a specific ministry and an associate minister for addictions and mental health to bring a focused response to this crisis. There should be no one here in Alberta who is prevented from the hope of recovery because they can't afford user fees. And that's why we eliminated user fees altogether. Today, cost is no longer a barrier to accessing addiction treatment in Alberta. But we need to make sure this was the case across the province, so we took some innovative steps. We significantly expanded Alberta's world-class virtual opioid dependency program. And so right now, I think we're just about the only place in, in the world that I know of for which this is true. Every Albertan, no matter where they live, how remote their community is, can access opioid addiction treatment on demand through the program, as I say, regardless of where they live. That uh, is same-day access to opioid addiction treatment with no fees and no wait lists available from anywhere in the province. This is truly remarkable. Yet even with all of this, we needed even more capacity. And that's why we began planning to build recovery communities across the province, the first of which is in Red Deer. And in fact, I will be cutting the ribbon uh, to celebrate the opening of that facility in the very near future, a facility that will change lives. These facilities, by the way, these are not like the old school in and out programs. You're there for three weeks and then you're you're back out on the street. Um, these are programs that were residents might may be able to stay for as long as a year if that's what's needed to break the habits to form new habits to develop new skills life skills employment skills uh to address trauma mental health and other issues um and uh it it's modeled on some phenomenal successes in Europe like for example Italy where some, in some of these uh, lifetime recovery centers, people can be staying for up to 18 months to undo perhaps a lifetime of addiction and, and uh, destructive habits. This is game-changing and at no cost to the people in these programs uh, for, their, for the residents. But even with all of this, as I say, we, uh, we, we needed to do more. And others, others of these centers will be uh, just outside of Edmonton in Gunn, Alberta, down in Lethbridge, and as well as one on the Blood Reserve, the largest population Indigenous reserve in Alberta. These uh, lifetime, long-term, wraparound recovery communities will provide a long-term holistic site for people to get the support they need for lifetime recovery. They are game-changing communities, and they're coming along so well that we will be building more of them, and I'll announce that in a moment. 
Another great innovation we've introduced to support those battling addictions is the digital overdose response system. Because we know that 70%, you know, we think about, we, we imagine that addictions and overdoses are just a downtown, quote unquote, skid row issue. Uh, the truth is 70% of overdoses happen in people's homes. And most of those out in the burbs, in people's basements and bedrooms in, uh, across the province. And uh, amongst people who are very likely to, unlikely to drive downtown to go to a, uh, a, a drug injection site. These are people who are, have their, their habit is secret very often from their families. They're disconnected from services and, and too often dying at home. So this Doors app, Digital Overdose Response System, allows people like that to connect with medical interventions when needed to prevent deadly overdoses. An ambulance will be automatically dispatched if a person becomes unresponsive. So if they're using, they can use that app, and uh, we, we monitor them and, and respond um, if they are non-responsive. This can and will save lives. In 2019, we also took bold action to protect Albertans and prosecute the opioid manufacturers and distributors who started this crisis some 20 years ago. This legal action included provincial governments from across Canada and was a significant step to combat the spread of opioids while recovering the costs that Albertans and taxpayers had to bear because of these companies' irresponsibility. I'm proud to say this action was successful, and in June, we announced out that Alberta will receive over $18 million in damages from opioid manufacturers and distributors who started the crisis. As a result, in the coming days, Alberta will take bold steps to prevent dangerous pharmaceutical drugs from entering our communities in an irresponsible way and further harming Albertans. Because as you know, in British Columbia, at the request of the provincial government, the federal government has effectively legalized uh, possession and trafficking of hard, lethal drugs. And uh, we think that is a very reckless approach that we will not tolerate in Alberta. So we, we, we are working on regulations under our constitutional head of authority for regulating health to ensure that a federal effort to legalize dangerous drugs in Alberta uh, will not take hold, that, the med that medical professionals uh, will have a very important role to play in, uh, in, in that whole system. Each of the actions we've taken are part of Alberta's recovery-oriented system of care a system that will save lives while supporting long-term recovery. And by the way, these are just some of the things that we've done. I could go on all day, but I've got to get to the announcement. As I look back on this work, I am deeply proud of how much we've accomplished and optimistic about the future. And I'm happy to say it's showing positive results. Opioid addiction deaths in Alberta have decreased significantly. In July of this year, Opioid deaths were 47% uh, lower than their peak last year and down 8% between June and July. And July marked the lowest number of opioid deaths since the COVID crisis began. This decline is in stark contrast to our neighbors in BC who have taken a radically different approach and opioid deaths there are up 30% from June to July of this year remain as high as they were through the worst of the pandemic, and the per capita incidence of opioid deaths in 
Alberta is one half of what it is in our neighboring province. They've taken the approach of destigmatizing and facilitating dangerous drug use. We've taken the approach of a recovery-oriented system of care because we believe that's the truly compassionate approach. This is a clear sign that Alberta is moving in the right direction. It's the result of a successful system like the one we are building. And that brings me to today's announcements. And there's a bunch of them. So uh, this is very exciting. Alberta's government is accelerating the implementation of a recovery-oriented system of care with $124 million in new funding over two years in both operating and capital funding focused on support in Edmonton and Calgary. These investments will add treatment capacity, expand support, and further integrate services with police and other health and community partners. This includes $50 million to build two new recovery communities, one in each of Calgary and Edmonton, with an additional $15 million to support their ongoing operations. Both Edmonton and Calgary will see a new 75-bed long-term residential addiction facility in their cities. These communities will provide residents with the resources, tools, and time they need to recover from addiction. In fact, recovery communities hold so much potential for treating addiction that we're bringing recovery community-style supports to correctional centers. We're committing an additional $12 million annually uh, starting next year to expand therapeutic living units to all of the province's correctional facilities, all of them, including those in Edmonton and Calgary. Therapeutic living units will have a strong connection to Alberta's recovery communities that we're building so that inmates can transition after completing their sentence. So to be clear, what these therapeutic units in the jails mean is that, um, and by the way, I mean, I was visiting our provincial remand center in Red Deer a few weeks ago, and and the uh, folks running it told me that the vast majority of their inmates were there for drug-related crimes and were trapped by addiction, the vast majority. So now with these units, those prisoners, those inmates can uh, volunteer to go to a special segregated floor where they get 24-7 support to help them get out of addiction. They start the treatment in jail and then we will connect them directly to an available bed when they leave custody uh, so they can continue their journey to recovery. Because right now, and until now, as you know, you, typically people go to the jail, they've got an addiction crisis, they're out in a little while, if they've got minor offenses, they're right back on the street, right back into the negative cycle. We have to break the cycle. The goal is to connect inmates with addiction treatment supports while they are still incarcerated and provide them with a clear path to recovery. Alberta's police services are important partners in addressing the addiction crisis, and we're ensuring they have the resources that they need to join the fight against addiction. To support them, we are committing $28 million over two years to partner with Edmonton and Calgary on an innovative new strategy to integrate health and police services and provide more targeted access to addiction and mental health. The ultimate vision is to establish a hybrid health and police-operated facility, one in downtown Edmonton and one in downtown Calgary. In the meantime, we'll also invest $8 million over two years to expand harm reduction and recovery outreach teams in both cities. By increasing capacity on the ground, we can connect more people with resources, with overdose prevention support, and with essential health services. 
We know that more doorways to treatment must be open for those seeking recovery. And we also know that the addictions crisis has a direct link to homelessness. That's why today I'm announcing that Alberta's government will invest $63 million in additional new funding over the next two years to reduce homelessness through our Homelessness Action Plan. On top of our current funding, that brings our total spend up to $166 million in new funding this year alone to combat homelessness. And to take a step back, the um, $160 million additional dollars on addiction support is on top of a billion dollars that we already spend in that area. Now, this is because we learned from the Coordinated Community Response to Homelessness Task Force report this June that while Alberta is on the right path, more targeted and enhanced measures are needed better to address the complex issue. The money will be used to expand the number of shelter spaces, especially for the winter months, in priority communities like Edmonton, uh, Wetaskiwin, Lethbridge, and rural communities where there's an urgent and unmet need. And I got to say, the very first time I met Mayor Sohi after his election, number one issue, this was in the fall of last year, he was deeply concerned about the winter and how the homeless population could cope and said his number one priority was for us to expand emergency shelter space. We worked with him with additional funding there, and he has not given up on that. And today, uh, it's a big yes to you, uh, Mayor. Thank you for your leadership. Additionally, we'll and this is so important, we'll be moving all provincially funded shelters to 24-7 access to make support available day or night. One of the problems, one of the challenges we have with shelters like this, emergency shelters, is that they don't have funding to operate in the daytime, and they have to ask their um, client, their guests, to leave in the morning. You know what that means here? They go back on the street and end up encountering their dealers and a destructive peer group, and they go right back the next day into the cycle of dangerous drug use. We need to change the paradigm so that people like that can stay and access services and supports that bridge them into recovery. We're also piloting a service hub model in Edmonton and Calgary at shelters to connect clients directly with supports and services like recovery housing and emergency financial support. We're equalizing funding. Mayor, you got it. We're equalizing funding between community-based organizations in Edmonton and Calgary and improving data collection and reporting to support innovation, inform decision-making, and better understand homelessness. Now, the mayor came to my office three months ago and told me that uh, Edmonton was getting substantially less per capita funding for emergency spaces than Calgary. I was shocked to learn that. We dug down in the numbers. We've gone back and forth on this a, a lot. And, and I, th- you know, I won't go into all the details, but... Ultimately, our analysis supported that there was some inequality in the funding that ends today. Thank you for your leadership, your worship. We knew that uh, all of this, we know that this will take work for years to come. None of this is going to change overnight, but we are committed to that long-term work. But much of this funding starts right now in this fiscal year. Because recovery works, it saves lives. And I'm very uh, proud to see that uh, Alberta is expanding our unique model to provide hope for healing for people trapped in addiction, but also the communities that have been so terribly affected by this crisis. 
Thank you very much. And with that, I will invite Minister of uh, Community and Social Services, also former Associate Minister for Mental Health and Addictions, the Honorable Jason Lewan. Uh, Premier, thank you so much. Uh, you can tell his passion on this subject, and you can tell his commitment of making the real difference. I am so fortunate, Premier, you appointed me as the first uh, social minister for this very unique uh, mental health addiction file, and then later on stepped into uh, uh, Minister of Community Social Services. In that new portfolio, homelessness is so much intertwined with that mental health addiction here. But let me tell you this, Premier, your passion, your leadership, your impact – uh, force, uh, encourage us and, and push us to work together, come up with integrated, uh, meaningful solutions in the community. Today shows uh, not only we are having um, changing strategies how to do this, but also with significant resources uh, to support what we're doing. Uh, so thank you, Premier. Thank you for your leadership. It's been uh, uh, a thrilling experience for me to see uh, knowledge, partnership, and everything else can come together. In the end of the day, Premier, like you said, it's the vulnerable people here will benefit. It's our communities and the business owners will benefit, the safety and everything else here. You've been done a great service for our province. Thank you so much, Premier. Give me a round of applause. I also want to announce, uh, acknowledge uh, some of the key leaders here. Uh, begin with uh, the two co-chairs uh, of the uh, uh, Provincial Homeless Task Force. We uh, started this uh, work, I believe, November last year, right in this center here. It's so lovely to say uh, after uh, close to nine months as we're coming back here to do a closure. I want to acknowledge the leadership of uh, uh, Chief McPhee as a co-chair, uh, along with Patricia Jones, the other co-chair representing the Calgary uh, uh, stakeholders. And thank you for both of you leadership trying to manage the complex and diverse uh, group of task force, which, by the way, we intended created a very diverse uh, uh, group of over 20 representatives across three orders of government, across different sectors of the social support services, from agencies to government to uh, policing, law enforcement, justice, to social services, income support, and everything else, including our community partners. I know, uh, and including our academic uh, researchers and professors, I attended some of those uh, uh, debate, and at times, because the issue is so complex, you don't have a single uh, simple solution, and the debate can be very, very difficult, and I was uh, witness that <laughs> part of that. But it is through that hard work, that grinding for creative solutions, not give up uh, from uh, the hard issue. I think they come with, uh, in my view, a bold, transformative recommendation to our government. And I remember uh, some of you even saying, uh, can you take it? <laughs> so let me tell you this, with what Premier announced, with added resources there, with the number of actions we're taking, uh, let me tell you this. We responded. Not only we embrace your bold uh, actions and your recommendations, but also we have significant resources aligned up to respond to that. Um, I want to uh, thank Premier again. This isn't a mental health alone response or community social services alone response. 
Uh, he encouraged all of us working together, including I'm going back and forth to, I was going back and forth to Treasury Board, uh, doing joint presentations with other ministries in order to uh, make the plan operational and most effective. So thank you again, Premier. Um, not only he has a passion, vision, but he really grind you to the details you need to deliver what you, uh, you can do. Uh, as you heard Premier talking about, not only we're uh, stepping up to the plate, um, significant change how we do business, but we're also uh, changing. Uh, we're establishing a provincial Alberta homeless information management system. We're going to track the changes, not only for, uh, to see how people's life get better, but also help us manage the resources in the most efficient way. Before I uh, get on to the next part, I do want to acknowledge our Chinese leaders here. Uh, begin with Holly Ma representing the uh, Chinatown Business Association, Association. Thank you for stepping to the plate, joining the task force, and brought the community voice into the dynamic discussions. And it made a difference. I think the pilot you and the Bruce um, did in here not only have coaches helping our uh, um, homeless uh, citizens to find ways into their life of recovery, but also helping maintain safety and, and cleanness for our business here. So through you, I heard that the pilot you guys did, business owners now find uh, there are people helping them to keep the street safe and even uh, uh, water uh, spray their windows to keep the, 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 the business shop clean. And they really welcome that. Well, it is through your pilot and, and, and all the voices from our community that build into the strategies we're changing uh, how the new dollars will be given, how the outcome, uh, the outreach services will be provided. So good on you, and thank you for that. And, and also thank you to uh, Mei Huang, Dr. Michael Lee, and the rest, many of you here, I won't go one by one. Thank you for gathering the community together. I remember I was among nine of my cabinet colleagues, uh, was uh, at the center of your uh, community dialogue, Many of the wishes that you voiced for the community uh, was there. And thank you, Christine. Um, my, uh, uh, my heart goes off to you for the hardship that you went through and your family. And, and by the way, Christine's father was uh, the one, one of the two unfortunate uh, uh, deaths related to the chaos happened uh, um, three, four months ago. Uh, we took it to our heart. So the policy matters, what we do matters. And with that, with the input for our community, you hear Premier talking about we are having a multidisciplinary police station right here in Edmonton, Chinatown. We are also redirecting one of the uh, opioid um, uh, um, overdose uh, service stations here to elsewhere in Edmonton, and we're converting that into a police station here with uh, EMS and uh, mental health and others uh, being working together. One more uh, thing, a uh, credit to you. You've been uh, advocating for, you know, brand new state-of-art uh, homeless uh, shelters like this. During the daytime, uh, the clients has to leave, and as a result, they are camped out on the street. We're changing that so that 24-7, we're giving significant dollars. Uh, at the end of today, the work will start so that while we keep them in care during night, uh, we're going to take the time during the day, lift the standard of our homeless services. We're going to connecting them with uh, 
whether it's mental health, it's addiction, it's uh, addressing counseling for intergeneration trauma, it's addressing poverty, it's helping them find jobs, you name it. All the program existed. Um, it's, it's just that nobody took that effort to connecting those uh, who are at the uh, most difficult stage of their life when you lose everything and end up homeless. Well, we have a commitment. Our workers, our ministries will be working together. We're piloting uh, a hub concept, and one of this will be in Edmonton, like uh, Premier mentioned. We will bring health, justice, social services, income support, employment support all together. Uh, the reason for that is it is no longer that we will just leave them to struggle on their own. We will assist them to find the pathway they can get on their life to return a life of recovery. So thank you again uh, for the opportunity that we work with you guys. And uh, before I exhausted all my time, I also want to acknowledge the contributions from the city of Edmonton. Uh, Mayor, your leadership on this, and I think it's through you, you appointed uh, Andre, the city manager, sitting on our task force. Where is Andre? Thank you, Andre, for your uh, contribution and uh, some of the hot debated uh, 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 questions there. It is through those we come with creative solutions. I hope today uh, you are equally excited along with our community. I say that. Uh, so we close the gap uh, between Edmonton and Calgary for the funding part, but that's not the end of it. We're also working together with you. We, I think it, you brought to the table of the minimum standard of shelter, but now you say we elevate your minimum, we turn that into 24-7, we're leading the country on that one. So thank you so much for your contribution too. Last, not the least, I want to show, uh, I want to uh, express my wholehearted thankful uh, appreciation to all of you. Um, I believe the homelessness issue, the uh, mental health addiction, is one of the toughest uh, issues in our society. It requires very creative solutions to, to address a very complex issue. There's no single one uh, approach will work. But what we end up is we adopted this uh, recommendation from task force having a recovery-oriented continuum care model that we create many doors for people to get on their pathway for success. And this, um, in my view, I have a Master of Social Work degree, worked in social work for over 28 years before stepping into the, uh, this policy and political uh, arena. I believe Alberta is leading the country in this area. I vividly remember two decades ago in my office in uh, Calgary, we started counting homeless. That was about uh, 40 to 100, and now we're talking about 3,000. For decades, we've been trying to find solutions for it. Today, with what Alberta led, this uh, new creative solution, I believe is a milestone that set example for the rest of the country to follow. Credit to all of you working together, all of the different orders, government working together, leadership like a premier and everybody else. Uh, my heart goes off to everyone. I can't wait to say the days when we see what we saw today changed to an orderly, peaceful community and those who need our support can find the support. Thank you so much. Well, uh, thank you, Minister Luan, for your uh, for your leadership. I think for me, uh, being here at Hope Mission, I'm very much encouraged to see this uh, great synergy with uh, 
the city and the province working together as we take on this this challenge. So thank you, Minister. And we're really pleased to have uh, our Mayor, uh, Mayor Sohi. And, and Mayor, if you could come at this time and, and share, that'd be great. Thank you and good afternoon, uh, everyone. I would like to, uh, first of all, uh, uh, begin by acknowledging that we are gathered here on uh, Treaty 6 territory. Uh, this is a place where indigenous peoples and settlers have gathered for centuries. And as an immigrant to this land, uh, I deeply appreciate how this place has embraced me and my family into this community. Uh, ever since being elected as your mayor, I and my council colleagues have worked hard to advocate on behalf of all Edmontonians. Today, I'm so pleased to see that a collaborative relationship with the Premier and the provincial government, Minister Luan, is making life better for so many Edmontonians struggling with houselessness, substance use disorder, mental health crisis, poverty, and intergenerational trauma. Today is a good day for our city. I would like to personally thank deeply from my heart for the Premier, his work. So thank you so much, Premier. Minister Luan, as, as well as Mr. Ellis, who is not here today, uh, and, uh, and for their uh, openness, meeting with uh, me so many times uh, uh, at, uh, at the legislature or in the community, and for listening to our concerns, really listening to our concerns. And thank you so much for that. These significant investments announced today will support a number of important initiatives and also help close the funding gap between Edmonton and Calgary to support Edmonton's houseless folks. For that, I thank you. In our last meeting in Calgary, uh, Premier jokingly called and described me as being uh, persistently annoying <laughs> uh, with my endless advocacy, but I wear that title with pride today, Premier, but thank you so much for your time and your effort and the care that you gave to listening to us and really understanding the data and the discrepancy between Edmonton and Calgary. So thank you. Thank you. It would not have happened without your attention and without your leadership. So thank you so much for that. Today's announcement is a significant investment to the tune of nearly $70 million in Edmonton towards ensuring that Edmonton unhoused and struggling folks have improved access to services that support their well-being. Today's announcement increases funding to provide an additional 450 shelter spaces that, that we had requested to get through long and hard winters. Today's announcement also includes funding to keep provincially funded shelters open 24 hours a day, seven days a week during the winter, as well as provide mental health and recovery support on site in shelters. I have been persistent, as Premier has noted, in asking provincial government to close the funding gap between Edmonton and Calgary and today's announcement of an additional $12 million will help close that gap and provide funding for health-related services for supportive housing to reduce houselessness in Edmonton. Today's announcement will also help us tackle 
root causes of social disorder in Edmonton by building and running a 75-bed treatment and recovery facility for people facing addictions. Edmonton will also pilot a service hub model by providing wraparound services at local shelters, additional support for harm reduction, as well as additional support to increase collaboration with the police and healthcare providers. Poor and ex exclusionary shelter standards contribute to the number of encampments in Edmonton, leading to social disorder in the downtown, in the Chinatown, and in our River Valley. I'm pleased that today's announcement commits to implement and improve minimum shelter standards to meet the diverse needs of Edmonton's houseless population. We asked our provincial government to support harm reduction and recovery outreach teams like CART and HELP. Today's announcement increases that support. We also asked our provincial government to have an enhanced discharging plan before people are released from correctional facilities. Today, they're delivering on that as well. We all know the impact of that on Chinatown. We all remember the person who was released was not given the proper support and he ended up in Chinatown killing two of our beloved members of our community. These investments show our collaborative approach is working and together we are making life better for struggling Edmontonians. While we work together to figure out more details, these investments may also help decentralize social services and expand them beyond Chinatown and downtown. Before I close, I want to also thank a few more people for making these investments possible. First of all, to my city council colleagues for persistent support and advocacy on behalf of Edmontonians. Many organizations also advocated to the province on our behalf, including the Edmonton Federation of Community Leagues, many of Edmonton's business area associations, uh, the Building Owners and Managers Association, Edmonton Chamber of Commerce, Chinatown stakeholders, and many Edmontonians who took time out of their busy schedule to write letters and make a call. Your advocacy helped us achieve this today. I also want to thank our city manager, Andre Korbold, uh, for his ongoing support. And also thank him and Chief McPhee for, uh, uh, for uh, serving on Edmonton's task force, as well as uh, Holly, thank you so much for uh, your service on that. So once again, Premier, thank you so much on behalf of Edmontonians. Minister Luan, thank you so much for your leadership and working with us. Also, please do convey our appreciation to Minister Ellis as well. And uh, thank you for stepping up for Edmonton. We deeply appreciate that. Well, just want to thank our mayor for being persistent. Really appreciate that. And uh, for your heart for the homeless, too. And uh, I thank you so much for that. So I'm really uh, pleased to be able to introduce to you uh, one of the co-chairs of the ad hoc committee that uh, came through with all these recommendations, um, Patricia Jones, who's not from Edmonton, but she's from Bysaker. Has anybody ever heard of Bysaker? It's by Drumheller, and the town mascot is a skunk. So maybe she can explain that, but hey, Patricia. 
Um, and by the way, that skunk was paid for by your tax dollars, so you're welcome. <laughs> Good morning, and thank you, Bruce, for that kind introduction. My name is Patricia Jones, and I'm the president and CEO of the Calgary Homeless Foundation and also co-chair of this task force. It was a privilege to be part of a truly collaborative process whose ultimate goal is to improve this province's approach to fighting homelessness. And I just want to take a minute, because when you came in today, you probably were ushered and stewarded upstairs by the staff with the gray shirts. And I want to point them out, because when we leave after this press conference today, and we go off, I'm going for lunch with my son, these staff will go back downstairs, and they will do the unsung work that they do every day, and they did during the pandemic, whereby they have reverent, human, kind conversations with people who are hurting. So if you could join me in thanking the staff. Um, I'm very proud to be in front of you today to celebrate the release of this report and its 14 recommendations. And as you can imagine, this report is the result of inputs from many. First, I'd like to thank my co-chair, Dale McPhee. We go everywhere as a team <laughs> uh, for his wisdom, his support, his friendship, and his sense of humor. Um, throughout this process, it was invaluable to me. I also want to thank my fellow task force members, three of whom are here today, Bruce and Holly and Andre, who, um, who brought their passion, their expertise, and their willingness to have really difficult emotional conversations to support our consultation process. And it was really important to have difficult emotional conversations because no daughter should lose their father because of this. No daughter should lose their father in this province. I am grateful for the rich contributions of individuals and organizations across the province who shared their expertise, their knowledge, and lived experience with us so we could deliver a report and make uh, recommendations that were truly transformational. I am thrilled that the government of Alberta is planning to act on all 14 recommendations, but we'll specifically activate five of them immediately so we can use the momentum we've gained during our stakeholder consultations to make tangible changes. People who know me know I'm particularly passionate about moving toward greater system integration and coordination so that the people we serve are not faced with unnecessary administrative barriers and receive the support they need when they need it, how they need it, and with a customized integrated recovery supports because housing alone does not heal people. You need the integrated supports. These recon recommendations taken together put people at the center. And when I say people at the center, I'm not always talking about the people we serve. It also puts businesses at the center. It should not be either or. Businesses thrive and people thrive. That's how we should work here. And we want, thank you. So what we want to do is ensure, create a, create a humane, dignified for individuals and families experiencing homelessness. Because you may be surprised how close many of the people you know in your life who are on the edge. Uh, and it is regardless of their creed, their race, their gender, or their level of complexity. So thank you again. Thank you, Premier. Thank you, Minister Luan. From the bottom of my heart, I was honored to be part of this process for, for being part of this critical work that will improve the lives of our fellow Albertans. Because the people down, downstairs in those tents, they're our fellow Albertans. So that we can envision a day when homelessness may be an unfortunate episode in someone's life, but never a condition 
that defines it. Thank you. Good morning, Tanse. Premier Kenny, Minister Luan, Mayor Soe, Co-Chair Patricia, Andre, Holly, Bruce. First of all, Christina, I still remember the first words we had a conversation. This cannot get lost. We have to push forward. We have to push ahead. We have to make things different. Your wisdom, your spirit, your kindness as a healthcare worker is not lost on all of us. And you're a driving force for all of us. So I really want you to know we feel what you feel. And today is the start of some good things. So thank you. Today is a very good day, and I personally want to take a minute to thank Premier Kenny, Minister Luan, as Mayor Soe said, Minister Ellis, and all of their staff, CADM uh, Romano is here today, Chief of Staff for Minister Luan, Justin, all of the people that put a lot of time into this file leading up to today's announcement. There was a lot of heavy lifting done by a lot of people, and I think they all we owe them all a round of applause. I want to thank Patricia Jones, her leadership, her knowledge, helping us get to a final product, her stubbornness where her and I get along well on that particular part, not accepting the status quo, pushing for the answers, has truly what has really got us, in my opinion, today. And what we really had is a debate where we consistently said, leave your titles behind, Look at things objectively from the spirit of openness that allowed so many different perspectives to come together. And to have 14 recommendations approved is, is quite something, but there's more. The title of this report isn't lost on anybody. Looking at things differently is very fitting. It's not more of the same. It is building on what works, changing what might need to be changed, and ultimately look at new ways of doing things. Why? because the folks outside the staff need these changes. The simple fact that two task forces are coming today, the Mental Health and Addictions Task Force and the task force that Patricia and I were fortunate enough to speak or to work with some really good people has really sent a message that the old siloed approach that stagnated the process for many, many years is no longer the one that we need to look forward to. A little bit of background, Patricia and I participated in many meetings, round tables, and have collected ideas, thoughts, opinions, expertise from subject matter experts in the field, leaders in the community, staff serving the clients, lived experience, indigenous perspectives, business leaders, academics, and many more. One thing that was for sure from all of them said that housing options must include recovery-orientated housing system with supports for mental health and addictions. The fact that they're making both of these announcements today reaffirms that the stakeholders have been heard, and not only have they been heard, their perspectives and expertise have been actioned. Thank you so very much. The fact that all of our recommendations, as Patricia said, have been endorsed gives hope. I hope that people can expect something different and not only more of the same. I have to be honest, just to speak from the heart for a second. It was frightening of how many people we spoke to said they have lost hope and were scared for their own safety. 
that's not acceptable. And Bruce, you probably played a bigger role to put that in the front than anybody on this committee. And I want to thank you for keeping pushing that. Thank you very much. Sporting staff within shelters, including that safety is hand-in-hand with well-being, accountability to the system, outcomes for people in need, better data, more rigorous outreach, 24-7 services within shelters with supports, minimum standards, and a systems approach in several communities that will ensure capacity meets people where they need versus moving everything to the cities is a game-changer. Working to improve discharge with emergency rooms and correctional facilities where reduce vulnerability, better health assessments, and much more pave the way for hope and opportunity. The point, there is a commitment to work with the federal government to have services on the nations from a partnership perspective is another game changer that we must make happen. Innovation to the housing options will help meet demand faster. Um, hearing from various areas of the province, it was refreshing to see how many good things we have in certain areas. They are almost hidden gems. They're getting strong results. Rather than reinventing the wheel, making a commitment to consistency will help us expand some of these gems. I want to take a minute now to personally thank Premier Kenny for championing this file. Ministers Luan Ellison, now Chandra, for the opportunity to serve on three task force in the last two years. <laughs> but what's really, really rewarding is the mental health and addictions, the human trafficking task force, and the housing homelessness one allowed us to push all this together. And that's your dream, and that's you are the champion of that. You pushed it home, you and Minister Ellis, Minister Chandra, and others. That is a big change. I've been around uh, policing. I've been a police chief when I was, since I was 36 years old, an entrepreneur, a former president of the Canadian Association of Chiefs of Police, a deputy minister of justice, co-chair of federal provincial territory deputies, co-chair of StatsCan. As you can see, I'm not 36 years old anymore. This is the biggest single investment that I've ever seen over the course of my career in actually addressing a system versus putting more monies into silos that are actually generating a lot of the problem. And you own that, and we really, really appreciate that. Thank you very much. <clears throat> to conclude, it was not lost on us yesterday. It was a day recognized the truth and reconciliation. Yesterday, I was at the grand opening of the Digis Courthouse. Today we are here. I have often said that the missing piece of truth and reconciliation is the action. Today, we're seeing action that many folks in this state, in this, uh, I guess, deck, have been asking for for many, many years. And I just want you to know, as somebody working within this space with many good people that are here today, this is a start of something different. Hi, hi. Thank you very much. And again, Patricia, you're a rock star. So I'd just like to say um, I've really appreciated our Chief um, Dale McPhee and also Patricia Jones being the co-directors um, of this ad hoc committee. They really, really poured their heart into it. You could see their passion. I know, Holly, you could um, agree with me. They, they just did such a great job because there was such warmth. You felt a part of it. 
you were listened to. And for me, I guess I feel I've been on a lot of committees also, but some of them go on for years and years and you talk. And this one was focused short term and you can see the outcomes. And we're I think we're really excited that uh, going forth, there's some some opportunities, good synergy. And I'm excited for that. So thank you very much. Thank you, Minister and, and Premier. And thank you, everybody that's here. And I think now is the time for uh, for the media to ask questions. I think uh, there's a, a provincial person that's going to look after this. Oh, here we go. I'm going to get out of the way. Thanks for coming. There's some tea and coffee over on the other side there, if you'd like. Thank you, everyone. That concludes the formal speaking portion. We'll go with media questions in person. I see you're lined up at the mic. Please limit yourselves to one question, one follow-up, and uh, identify your name, your outlet, and who you'd like to answer your question. Go ahead. Amanda with CTV. And my first question is going to be directed to the police chief, Chief McPhee, if you don't mind coming back up. We've talked to you so many times, and even today you said that we can't keep doing the same thing. We've got to do something differently. Looks like you're getting that different today. What kind of an impact do you think this is going to have on some of the issues that we've been seeing in the core in Chinatown? Well, let's be very clear. A lot of the violence we're seeing in Chinatown is addictions-based. A lot of it's meth-related. We've said that for three years. You're not going to solve that with housing alone. You have to have a mental health and addictions plan. You have to have the ability to offer people help. You have to have the ability to get people some hope back. And the really thing when you use meth, it's dangerous. Normal people don't do normal thing. And the staff, as Patricia mentioned here, are those people that are left dealing with a lot of these folks. And before we can have well-being, we have safety. And these conversations that are put and compartmentalized into different aspects, they're not. What the investment today here says, it's a system. You take that first call. What is the ability to offer help? Is it mental health? Is it addiction? Or can they be fast-tracked to housing? And you look at that as a systems approach with an ultimate goal of permanent supportive housing. Today is the first time that I've seen all of this put together since I've been here in my three and a half years. So for us, it's exciting. For us, it gives us hope to work with our partners that are dedicated in this community to make it safer, but also to make it that people can do business and live their livelihoods here. That can't be lost. Thank you. It's a great question. You have a follow-up? My follow-up is for you, Chief, as well. At least I think it is. Um, I'm just hoping that you can put in perspective the, like, just how is this hybrid health and police hub, how is this going to work? Lots of work to be done there. And I, when I said one of the hidden gems that I've seen in Edmonton, because I'll talk to you about that one, and I learned a lot from Patricia, and I've seen some really good results being delivered by CUPS and the ALEC in Calgary, the Calgary Drop-In Center. But we have this hidden gem of Boyle Macaulay Health Services with Trisha Smith and Francesco. And we need to absolutely have a place where people aren't going to hurt themselves or hurt others, but we need to do it from a health perspective to get them the appropriate assessment, determine where they're from, what is it that they need to help their problem or to help them with their problems. So that's something where we can combine law enforcement and public health to get better results in a safe environment with teams to get people the supports they need. And those supports aren't necessarily the criminal justice system. They need to be that law enforcement health perspective. That's been looked at across the world. I've been fortunate to be involved in this pretty much most U.S. states and 
Australia, uh, and, I, and I think the real one, and, and the Premier mentioned Italy, there's a lot of good work in relation to Portugal that's been done to actually drop some of these things. And so I think it's yet to be determined what that looks like and where that is. Uh, but the fact that we're putting it, to, putting safety and wellness in the whole uh, perspective and putting it in a health domain is going to be a game changer. Thank you. Next question. Chief, don't run away. Okay. <laughs> Nicole with Global Edmonton here. Hi, we heard, of course, um, 14 recommendations by the task force, five as I understand, will be activated immediately. So similar to Amanda's question, but what do you hope to see? What are some of the initial impacts you hope to see? Well, obviously, we're coming into winter, so I think the mayor's covered that one off great. We, we can't, uh, we got to get people inside uh, fairly soon, so, so, so that's going to be helpful. I think, as you heard Minister Luan uh, speak about decentralizing services, bringing some stability, I think that's important. But I think at the same time, one of the most important is to come up with a game plan on how we're going to deal with open-air drug use in this city. Uh, I mean, I, I hear this uh, with people with their kids, and they're scared. They're scared to come downtown. They're scared to go into Chinatown. They're scared to go into 118th Ave. And that's going to require visibility, but it's also going to require a place where people can go other than a jail cell. And, you know, for those that are actually struggling with addiction. So coming together as teams, much as Andre and I have been working to get the HSOC stood up in uh, Chinatown, much as we've been working on how we approach it from a team's environment in the LRT, we got to pick that up and we got to do it quicker. Because the time is now to drive this change and the province has just enabled us to get some of those facilities because just moving them along the street is just going from one area to the other. And when we said when we went into Chinatown, when we had went in with a lot of police members and our help teams and the mayor's mentioned the cop teams and the diversion teams and everything else, we're pulling that from other parts of the city. And if we don't have a plan to take them somewhere, we're just going to push it to other parts of the city. And that's not the answer. We need those facilities stood up as soon as possible to get the health supports and the health assessments uh, that Boyle McCauley and others can do. And Chief, are you able to expand on just the broader role police will play in all of this? You know, we, we shifted our response on this. And I'm not sure that everybody knows that, or it seems like some don't. We moved $38 million and 200 and some officers into this space to reduce the demand because we took 6,500 calls for services where social workers would go or fire department would go or EMS and they'd phone us. The answer is to put teams in place to deal with it collectively. If it's dangerous, the police lead. If it's not dangerous, the social worker leads or the PAC, the mental health worker. And we would like to see those put in dispatch, which we're talking with ADM Romano, not to put him on the spot right now. Those are team approaches. It has to be safe before you can actually deal with the individual. And when you're dealing with meth, it's obviously one of those unpredictable things. But I think the whole point here is we're all focusing on the first call. And many of these people, there's a second call, a fifth call, a 20th call, a 50th call, a 100th call. We have to use the services to relentlessly do the outreach to reduce the repeat calls. And that's easily measured. And that's what we're doing. And that's what we changed. Thank you. Thank you. We'll take one more from the floor and then we'll go to the phones. Go ahead. Sarah with City News. This question could be for Bruce or Patricia. Bruce, I would love to hear from you, Bruce. Oh, okay. <laughs> that works. 
Can you talk a bit about how the 63 additional, uh, the million dollars in funding, what will that look like in shelters? What will that look like in people? Um, what is the actual impact of that? How soon will people see change? And it kind of seems like, you know, this problem is one that continues to require a lot of money. And so how are we seeing the impact carry through? Is this something that's just going to continue happening? Is this a funnel that will continue requiring more funds? Yeah. That's an excellent question. Thank you for picking two of us. And that is a Bruce answer. <laughs> Given that he runs a shelter, I think he should probably. So I wanted to know about why does Bysaker have a, a, what is it, a, a skunk? You didn't ever explain that. So, But anyways, we're excited about this. I feel like I'm in a dream right now. I'm excited about this. The fact that uh, the governments are coming together to work and uh, focus on this problem because it has been for the last 10, 15 years, it's been really hard, especially on the staff, frontline people. So the idea of being a service hub 24-7 and then strengthening that, our, our heart is recovery. We want to build up our numbers up to 90 people on recovery. Uh, so like I say, for us, the key is the 24-7 and service hub. You have a follow-up? This would be for Chief McPhee. Can I say over to you, Bruce? <laughs> no. <laughs> so we have talked about um, the two murders that happened in Chinatown. Yeah. Um, and so we've had short-term changes of more beat officers and things like yeah. that and talking with the community. But what can you tell businesses that are still suffering? You know, we see this money coming in, but when are they going to see change? And can you give them an assurance that their businesses won't continue suffering, that they'll be able to feel safe? You know, we're, we're doing everything we can right now with resources we have. We're trying to combine the resources with some of the city's resources. We have a large presence, particularly in Chinatown. But as I said, these are the things that we tried to do a year ago. Now we're a year and a half behind in hiring individuals right now, and we're trying to hire as quick as we can to get people because the other thing that we're doing is, is we're at the same time tra trying to stand up a 10 squad model. What that means is expanding all of our patrol divisions with more people in them uh, to increase the visibility of the cars and everything in relation to that. But a part of that is, is we have to find the body somewhere. And so we're taking them from other areas, some of the things that we're closing down, uh, and we're shifting them. That comes into place November 6, which we'll see increase, increase vehicles in all particular areas. And then we're going to continue to recruit as quick as we can to get other people back in. But as I said, we're behind now and, uh, it's going to take a while. You just don't, uh, go and grab somebody off the street and say we're going to give you a you know a badge and a gun. So we got to look at some new ways of recruiting as well. Maybe some experienced officers to expedite that. Um, but those are all challenges. But I can tell you what we are going to do is work with our business community and try to answer those concerns as best we can and to do what we can with the resources that we have. Thank you. Thank you. We'll take two from the phones. Operator, can you please put through our first caller? Thank you. Michael Rodriguez, Calgary Herald. Hi there. Uh, this question likely for uh, Premier Kenny or Minister Luan. Uh, with this funding, there are no new shelter spaces being created in Calgary. This brings Edmonton closer to parity with Calgary's number of spaces and funding. But can you further explain the reason behind the decision to leave Calgary out of that aspect of this announcement? Does the province think there's already enough uh, spaces in Calgary? 
So Patricia and I will uh, jointly answer this question. Uh, on a high level, I can tell you that uh, historically, uh, Calgary has been leading the province for the number of homelessness uh, issues. And accordingly, uh, the uh, uh, emergency shelters developed over the years, Calgary led the whole province. So if you talk about uh, um, per capita basis, Calgary has a lot more. And that was one of the reasons that the Premier talked about and Mayor Sohi talked about. Today, there's a shift. The uh, uh, homeless numbers in Edmonton has been catching up uh, uh, as equal or a little bit more than Calgary now. So we're trying to balance this uh, uh, provincial-wide response. I'm going to give to Patricia to talk a bit about our Calgary homelessness response. Thank you for the question. Um, so there's a, it's a little bit more complicated than that. I think I, I think I, as a co-chair of the task force, I fully supported bringing Edmonton to where Calgary was at because we were, we did receive more funding. I know from our provincial partners that the forecasting for Calgary shelters is there will be enough room throughout the winter. What Calgary City Council just did recently is awarded Calgary Homeless Foundation 2.9 million for uh, a coordinated winter response and they doing that in partnership with the province. I've never seen such unprecedented collaboration between city, province, and federal in my career. And the key is coordinating and get people into shelters so we can get them into housing, which is why housing-focused recovery is really important. So that's the focus for Calgary. you have a follow-up, Michael? Uh, yes. Uh, the hybrid health police facility, can you further explain the model of that site and what those sites look like, what police's role will be at the facilities? Yeah, yet to be determined. Uh, some of the early discussions is uh, how do we use a law enforcement public health? So obviously what we heard uh, from all of the people that we were dealing with staff in shelters, et cetera, um, that staff security and staff safety was a certainly a, a big part of this. And then the other piece is the diversion piece uh, from a police call for service and the transport to potentially a facility that's actually ran by health. Uh, is something that actually uh, is drastically needed, and it's more so for those really, really hard to house that are going to hurt, obviously, potentially themselves or others, to get them a bit of that stabilization piece, perhaps with VODP offering and, and other aspects, but it's that short-term stabilization piece that would transition uh, into a shelter or somewhere else like that once they're ready and safe to do that. Unfortunately, a lot of the problems that were coming up in the task force is a lot of these people were being taken directly to shelter, and it was just causing significant violence and some injuries, not only to staff, but other members within the shelters. So think of it as that bridge piece uh, with uh, some health involvement to try to get some stabilization to get people along the system for services. Thank you, Operator. Could you please put through our final question for the day? Thank you, Tyson Fedora, CTV Calgary. Hi there. This is uh, for the Premier. A little slightly off topic today, but uh, of course, your government brought in uh, fuel tax relief uh, when the barrel of oil was high. And of course, today we're seeing that four and a half cent uh, jump at the liter uh, with it coming back. Uh, here in Calgary, it's about a dollar sixty-four. So. When these measures were brought in, we're seeing similar prices to what we're seeing today. So uh, are gas stations just uh, 
maybe fleecing the consumer at this point? Do you think that uh, more needs to be done from the province in regards to uh, cost-saving measures for the consumer? I guess what needs to be done moving forward since uh, the fuel tax will soon all be back? Thanks, Jason. First of all, that's not a little bit off topic. It's way off topic, but that's okay. Uh, I'll take it. Um, So we continue to provide Albertans with fuel tax relief of 8.5 cents per litre. Uh, which so the total provincial fuel tax now is four and a half cents a liter, which is by far the lowest in Canada, and that is one of the reasons we have the lowest fuel prices at the pump. We are on average sixteen cents lower than Sask, twenty eight cents lower than Manitoba, and sixty two cents lower than our West Coast friends in BC. Uh, so we continue to provide that. Now, when we announced the t- gas tax relief, it was tied to Alberta's fiscal capacity. You know, we ride a, a fiscal roller coaster in this province based on oil prices, and uh, we budget, budgeted a balanced, uh, we projected a balanced budget based on seventy dollar a barrel oil. Um, and when we when the province started to benefit from much higher oil prices, we said Albertans should see some uh, immediate benefit from that, uh, since our surplus goes up massively as the higher prices go. But oil prices have uh, declined significantly in the past couple of months by about a third. We've gone from 120 a barrel oil to $80 a barrel oil. And that represents uh, like um, – that represents for each uh, a $10 change in the price of WTI, it's a $5 billion difference to our FISC. So a twenty dollar uh, change, sorry, a forty dollar change uh, in WTI is a twenty twenty billion dollar difference in our fiscal capacity. We do not want to Alberta to suddenly slip back into the red. We got out of deficits for the first time in fourteen years. We've got to stay there, and we need the revenues to pay for programs, which is why we tied the gas tax relief to the price of oil and therefore the health of Alberta's finances. Hey, heck, you know, I'm the founder of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Uh, In some utopian world, I wish we didn't have any taxes, but we got to pay for services like the ones we're delivering here today that will save lives, like healthcare, which is under huge stress. And uh, so, you know, we can't just wish away the fuel tax forever. We've tied it to when the province is bringing in a lot more money from royalties, we'll pass on some of that in fuel tax relief in a very, I think, smart way. So the policy that we announced, and people should should have expected this, is that if um, WTI is between $80 and $90 a barrel on a quarterly basis, we'll uh, provide 50% relief on the fuel tax. If it's north of $90 a barrel, we'll provide 100% relief on fuel tax. So it's tied to the fiscal capacity of the province um, and also tied to the gas prices. So when gas prices are lower, people are less in need of that relief. And I'll just add on top that... Um, we continue with our consumer price protection for natural gas prices if they get super high, and we're continuing to provide a $50 a month rebate on electricity costs to help people with the cost of living. You have a follow-up, Tyson, maybe on topic? Yeah, yeah, just a quick one, and this, uh, Premier, this will be on topic, so you might like this one. Uh, there is the data that shows recovery programs can only be so successful. So what do you say to the people who argue that the abstinence-based approach does just not work for everybody and more attention needs to be paid to maybe harm reduction, education, and an extremely problematic toxic supply? Well, we support a continuum of care. Uh, that includes uh, discrete harm reduction. But unlike the hopeless view 
of some, we believe that recovery is possible. That doesn't mean 100% of people who go into a a treatment program come out forever clean. But, you know, throwing around this word, quotes, abstinence, like some kind of a pejorative, what do you really mean? Not using lethal drugs. I believe that the alternative approach, which we see creating a catastrophic outcome in BC, of of, legi- of uh, destigmatizing dangerous drug use and, in fact, facilitating it, in fact, legalizing it, I think that is consigning people trapped in addiction to basically slow-motion palliative care. And uh, that's not hopeful. That's not compassionate. We agree that we have to meet people where they are, and not everybody in their journey is ready to go into a treatment program. But we've got to damn well break, break down every possible barrier to them getting there. And yes, we have to nudge them. That's why we're tripling the capacity of our drug treatment courts in Alberta to replicate the Portuguese model, which is often misunderstood. Um, the, the, the folks trying to, de, trying to destigmatize uh, dangerous addictions here have a fantasy version of the Portuguese model where just anybody can get drugs anywhere, anytime, no consequences. Not true. If you're caught with even a small amount of a controlled substance in Portugal, uh, you go before their equivalent of a justice of the peace and you either commit to getting into treatment or you face administrative or penal sanctions. So it's a strong nudge. It's a, and, and, and frankly, if you're, in, if you're um, taking something like meth, you need the nudge. The notion that, that people on the streets here who are sadly strung out on meth have the mental capacity, uh, completely independent of any assistance, to uh, get off the drug, is, that's naive. And so um, what we need is seamless social supports. That was what today's announcement is about. Removing any barriers to accessing uh, treatment and recovery. Uh, But we also need the law enforcement system to play its role in nudging people uh, to do what is best for them. I know that may sound paternalistic, but I don't apologize for saying that abstinence from math is a hell of a lot better than addiction to math. Thank you, everyone. That concludes our press conference.